Hello, and welcome back to Automotive, the automotive engineering history podcast. Of course, this episode doesn't really have much engineering in it, because I'm talking about Nikki Lauda this week. Lauda is a very well-known Formula One race car driver. He had an incredible career, an incredible comeback. He had some funny moments. He was kind of an interesting dude in the fact that, you know, there's a tendency for Formula One drivers to be kind of, well, show-offs and kind of party animals in a way, especially during this time. You know, they had a lot of confidence because you need that to drive well, and that translated into the rest of their lives. Nicky Lauda was extremely confident in his driving, but he was a really low-key kind of guy uh, that really just wanted to drive, and that's what he did. Like normal, the episode is going to function chronologically, but first, just more of an overview. So as I said, Nicky Lauda was a Formula One uh, race car driver, he was from Austria, and he would win three world championships, which is a very impressive achievement. In total, he would win 25 Grand Prix races throughout his entire career. His career started in 1969 and would end in 1985. The years that he would win the championship include 1975, 1977, and 1984. For some perspective, only five drivers in the history of Formula One have more championship titles than Nicky Lauda. There are four drivers that are tied with him, having also won three drivers' championships, but still, that's a pretty low number. It's a very exclusive club, and so this really shows Nicky Lauda was an incredible driver. This was also the time when death and Formula One were interchangeable. I mean, death was very common in this race series, in all race series for the most part, but especially Formula One. It was an extremely dangerous sport, and it was very common for people to pass away. Uh, Nicky Lauda was very aware of this. Uh, in 2015, he said, quote, This is why people race, to feel the speed, the car, and the control. If in my time you pushed too far, you would have killed yourself. You had to balance on that thin line to stay alive. End quote. The main reason that Formula One was so deadly was simply because cars were getting much faster, the technology available was allowing them to go incredible speeds, but the circuits that they were racing on were old, and the circuits really weren't designed for cars that could go as fast as these Formula One cars could. So any little error made by the driver, or even if it's not an error made by the driver, a wet spot or some other hazard on the track, the driver would usually die. There weren't all that many safety features in place. So not only did Nicky Lauda do incredibly well as a driver, it's just impressive that he survived his entire race career. Also, it's no surprise that Formula One was so dangerous when it was seen as unmanly to wear a seatbelt for many years, or unmanly to wear a helmet. It just wasn't part of the culture, and it took 
a really large shift to implement safety features. Uh, Nicky Lauda was actually somewhat, not directly, but decisions that he made during his race career did influence the improvement of safety for Formula One racing. Of course, we'll get into all of that in more detail later in the episode, but let us start right now with Nicky Lauda as a child. Lauda was always interested in racing and cars ever since a young age. His parents, by the name of Ernest Peter and Elizabeth Lauda, wanted him to join the family business, which was started by his grandfather, Hans Lauda. This family business was papermaking, and the company was very successful, and Lauda's family was very wealthy. But Lauda didn't want to make paper. He wanted to race cars. And so he spent his time learning about cars, he would take his uncle's BMW and race it around the paper mill yard at the age of 14. He would take apart his very first car, a Volkswagen Beetle. And so there seemed to be a fundamental interest in automobiles built into the DNA of Nicky Lauda. At 18, he would quit school and borrow money to purchase a Mini Cooper to start racing in hill climb events. And, you know, that sounds a little odd. His family's really wealthy. Why is he taking out a loan to purchase a car? Well, because his family did not approve of his racing goals. They didn't like it, and so they said, no, we're not going to support this. We're not going to help you get into it. And Lauda didn't care. He said, fine, if you won't help me, I'll do it myself. And he took out loans to get into what he wanted to do. Uh, the very first hill climb that Lauda would race in took place in 1968. He would finish second. So, definitely pretty impressive. One little interesting side note, though, is while his family would not give him money to uh, support his racing career, he would use the family's wealth and being well-known as leverage to get loans. People didn't necessarily know that his family didn't approve, so when he went into a bank and asked for a loan, it was easy for him to get it because they were aware that his family was wealthy, and so they felt confident that they would get the loan back. Now, this wasn't actually the case. He had no support from his parents. Uh, but the loner didn't know that, um, and so he leveraged what he could from his family uh, by just using his family name and the reputation associated with it. Lauda would compete in hill climbs for a little bit, but he'd move pretty quickly into what was called Formula V. Formula V, or also known as Formula Volkswagen, is an open-wheel, single-seater, junior motor racing formula. Formula V is very cheap to get in compared to other formulas. Uh, formulas refers to the setup of the car, the rules that regulate how the car is. So open wheel, closed wheel, amount of power, weight. That's all the formula of the car. So when I say other formulas, that would be other setups of cars that people would race. But Formula V was cheap because it was all based off Volkswagens. And Volkswagens are very plentiful, very cheap, and easy to work on. So actually a lot of Formula One champions would start their career in Formula V. 
These Formula V cars were entirely based around pre-1963 Volkswagen Beetles. The cars would use stock Volkswagen engines, transmissions, front suspension, and brakes, while the body was a tube frame. So they weren't all that powerful. I mean, it is the engine from a Beetle, but they were light, and it provided a fun and rewarding racing experience that certainly aided in Lauda's development as a driver. But again, Lauda was always looking to move on, always looking to get to the next step, and so he would only be in Formula V for a short time, moving quickly to private Porsche and Chevron sports cars. In 1971, just three years after his first hill climb event, he would take out a loan against his own life insurance policy to buy his way onto the Mark team as a Formula 2 driver. Lauda was an impressive driver at this time and was promoted to Formula 1 racing within this team. However, it was a pretty small team, And so, during 1972, he would actually race in both Formula 1 and Formula 2. Lauda had some bad luck with teams he joined, while the Mark team was a great opportunity because it let him get into Formula 1 racing. It was in the decline, and they were not having a good season when he joined. So it was a good way to get his foot in the door, but again, he wouldn't stick around for very long and would quickly take out another loan to join a team called BRM in 1973. But BRM team was also having trouble. The car was fairly competitive that the team was using, but it was not reliable and it didn't have a lot of power. Despite this, despite those issues, Lauda managed to take third at Monaco with BRM. So even with a not great car that suffered, well, reliability and power issues, he was a skilled enough driver to take home third at one of the most prestigious Grand Prix out there. Due to this, Lauda got his first big break. This race, this third place at Monaco, got the attention of of the one and only Enzo Ferrari. This was also thanks to Nicky's BRM teammate, a man by the name of Clay Regazzoni. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. Apologies if I pronounced it wrong. But Clay had also just joined the Formula One team. Enzo asked Clay, hey, what do you think of Lauda? What do you think? Is he a good driver? And Clay spoke so highly of Nicky that Enzo just hired him on the spot and paid him enough money for Nicky to clear all of the debt he had accumulated over the past couple years to get into racing. So not only was he able to join one of the best racing teams of all time, he suddenly had no debt to worry about. He had made it. He was into Formula 1, he was on a good team, and his name was cleared of all money owed. It was a big deal for Lauda to get into this position, and he definitely deserved it. Lauda would stay with Ferrari for quite a few years. He started his time with the team in 1974, and would eventually leave the team in 1977. Again, when Lauda joined, Ferrari was having a rough time. They had really struggled the past few years, 
And this was both kind of a blessing and a curse. Yes, Nikki Lauda was joining a team that wasn't doing super well at the time, but because the team wasn't doing well, they might have been more willing to take a risk on a fairly unknown driver like Lauda. So while, yeah, he wasn't stepping into the dominant team, it kind of benefited him because it allowed him to get his foot in the door and join a team that would eventually become great. And Nicky Lauda was a big part of making this team great. His first race with Ferrari. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a, I need to show what I'm capable of so the team keeps me around for a little bit. That's a lot of pressure. And Nicky Lauda performed. He brought home a second place. And he wouldn't stop there. Lauda would find his first Grand Prix victory of his entire career just three races later at the Spanish Grand Prix. This win would be the first win for Ferrari since 1972. So yeah, obviously, Ferrari made a great investment in Niki Lauda. They were struggling and they hired this fairly unknown driver and within four races, they have their first Grand Prix victory in years. I'd say that's a pretty good return on investment. The rest of this initial season with Ferrari would be a mix of highs and lows. Lauda would take six consecutive pole positions, but he was still a little inexperienced and the car suffered from reliability issues, meaning that Nicky would only take one more victory during the season at the Dutch Grand Prix and would finish fourth overall in the Drivers' Championship. Not bad for the first season with Ferrari, but, you know, room to improve for sure. The next season didn't start off super well. Lauda would not be able to get to a higher position than fifth in the first four races of the season. But after that fifth race, things really flipped with the new Ferrari 312T car. With this car and Lauda behind the wheel, Lauda would be able to take four of the next five races. First place, winning them. Four of the next five. He confirmed his first world championship with a third place finish at Monza. That's incredible. He joined the team just a year ago as kind of a nobody. He had raced in Formula One, but for some pretty average teams. He gets a big break, is able to join Ferrari, and within two seasons, he's the champion. He wins the entire season. That's nuts. And not only did Lauda take the Drivers' Championship, but Ferrari, with the help of Lauda, would also take the Constructors' Championship for the first time in 11 years. This was thanks to strong finishes from both Lauda and Clay. This was also the time when Nicky Lauda would lap the north loop of the Nürburgring in less than 7 minutes. This was incredibly fast. No one had been able to do it, and it was an insane pace. Of course, it also is important to realize that during this time, the North Loop was two miles longer than it is today. So not only did he set a very, very fast time, but he was actually on a longer circuit than what exists today. This was really a high point in his career. He was unbeatable and drove 
amazingly. One of the funny side notes about the kind of person that Nicky Lauda was was that he didn't keep any of the trophies that he won, and instead he made a deal with his local mechanic. Here's a quote from Nicky describing the deal that he made. Quote, I said, If you give me a free car wash for the rest of my life, you can have all of them, referring to trophies. And that's what I did. End quote. His logic behind this deal was that the trophies were ugly and useless. So, clearly he just wanted to drive. He wanted to win, but he didn't even care about the trophies that he took home. He just got free car washes. So, sure, I guess whatever he wants to do. Um, but what an interesting perspective on the trophies that he won. The next year with Ferrari, being 1976, it started off really hot. Lauda would take wins at four of the first six races and finished second in the two that he didn't win. It seemed that a second championship win was a formality. It was going to happen, it was just a matter of when, not if. And by the British Grand Prix, Lauda had double the points of his closest challenger. He was dominating. But everything would be thrown out at the German Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. Lauda didn't feel good about this race. He worked to convince his fellow drivers to boycott the race. As I talked about in the episode that covered the history of the Nürburgring, it was incredibly long and incredibly unsafe. It was so long that emergency crews could not reach parts of the circuit very fast, and if something happened, the drivers depended on each other for help. Safety crews just weren't available. And due to these safety concerns, Nicky Lauda tried to say, hey, let's not race. It's not worth it to die on this loop just for the sake of going in circles. But the drivers wouldn't listen. They wanted to race, and they refused to boycott it with him, and the race would go ahead. This turned out to be, well, a terrible, terrible time for Lauda. He would crash during this race. At a very high speed section of the circuit. He would lose control due to a slippery patch on the track. He was traveling at close to 140 miles per hour. His car would slam through a restraining fence, which would rip off his helmet. He would then hit an embankment and bounce back onto the track into oncoming traffic. He was hit by several other race cars. The Ferrari's fuel tank burst during the crash and the car was quickly engulfed in flames. Lauda only survived thanks to other drivers which stopped and pulled him from the burning car. The drivers that stopped to help him were Artro, Mazzaro, Lunger, Guy Edwards, and Harold Ertel. Marzero was the one who actually reached into the flames to undo Lauda's seatbelt and pull him from the car. Lauda suffered severe burns on his head and inhaled toxic fumes which damaged his lungs. While he was conscious after the crash, he soon fell into a coma, and it did not seem likely that he would live. On his third day in intensive care, a priest came in to give him his last rites. During this, Lauda was conscious, but getting his last rites 
only made him angry. Here's a quote from him referring to this getting his last rights. Quote, I kept telling myself, if he wants to do that, okay, but I'm not quitting, end quote. And he wouldn't quit. He would amazingly survive. He would have extreme scars for the rest of his life. He limited reconstruction surgery to just his eyelids and would wear a cap for the rest of his life to hide the scars. He did take advantage of this somewhat and would actually arrange for sponsors to pay to use the cap for advertising as that cap really became his signature look because he would always have it on. After this severe crash, and he was in a lot of pain, he returned to racing just six weeks later, going to the press conference still covered in bandages. This race was the Italian Grand Prix, and Lauda finished fourth, despite admitting himself that he was absolutely terrified. I couldn't imagine that. Being involved in a crash that severe and getting burns all over your head and inhaling toxic fumes, and then just six weeks later, getting back into the same car and attempting to drive quickly? Man, he was, well, he had some balls. Let's put it that way. Because of how quickly he went back to racing, he actually wore a special helmet to help reduce the amount of pain he was in during the race. During the time that Lauda was in the hospital, another driver by the name of James Hunt, who was a driver for McLaren, made a late surge in points after winning the Canadian Grand Prix and the United States Grand Prix. By the time that Lauda returned to racing, Hunt was only three points behind him, and it would all come down to the last race of the season, the Japanese Grand Prix. During the race day at the Japanese Grand Prix, there was an absolute downpour. It was raining absolute cats and dogs, and Lauda retired after two laps. He gave up the championship win, or at least an attempt at the championship win, because he felt it was unsafe. It was He retired by his own choice. There was nothing wrong with the car. There was nothing particularly wrong with him. He just decided that it wasn't safe to continue. It wasn't worth it. And this is stunning. Race car drivers are the kind of people that don't give up, and they push to the edge continuously to win, sometimes going over that edge and losing their lives. And one of the best drivers in the form of Nicky Lauda retiring due to safety concerns was a big deal. This was one of the reasons that the safety of Formula 1 was improved. The fact that he was willing to give up the championship because he didn't want to risk his life helped to create the early momentum that would eventually lead to some pretty big safety changes for Formula 1 racing. Hunt would continue the race in the absolute downpour, and fought hard to take third place. This means that he won the championship by a single point. The next season, Lauda came back really strong. He took the championship easily through consistent driving. He wasn't all that fast. He didn't win every race, but he was consistent. He didn't retire, and he consistently scored points, allowing him to get his second championship win in 1977. However, the relationship during Lauda and Ferrari during this season was strained. Lauda felt that he was let down by Ferrari. 
and he would leave the team after winning the championship at the United States Grand Prix. He wouldn't even finish all the races. I mean, it wasn't necessary. By that point, he had the championship in the bag, and he left. He said, I'm done. Bye. And that was the end of his time with Ferrari. After leaving Ferrari, Lauda would join other Formula One teams, including an Alfa Romeo team, but he wouldn't find much success. He would win one race in a fan ground effect car, uh, but this car was only used in one race due to other teams protesting it, calling it cheating. Uh, Lauda would cut a practice session short at the 1979 Canadian Grand Prix and inform the team principal that he was retiring and had no more desire to, quote, continue the silliness of driving around in circles, end quote. And that was the first of Lauda's two retirements. He wouldn't race for a couple years, but eventually would be brought back into the racing scene in 1982 when Lauda would join McLaren. He would be part of McLaren from 1982 to 1985, and the first few years of this relationship were not all that successful. McLaren was switching engines from a Ford Cosworth to a Porsche turbo engine, and obviously some quirks were being worked out with a change as big as swapping engines. However, by 1985, everything was going really well, and Lauda would be very successful. Lauda and his teammate, Alan Prost, would win 12 of the 16 races. Lauda would take the championship over his teammate by half a point. Uh, half points were given out at the shortened Monaco Grand Prix of that year. It's not normal for half points to be given out, but during the season uh, they were, and he managed to squeak the win by that half point. This would be his third and final championship win. After this third win, Lauda would continue racing for McLaren, but the next season would be a disappointment with Lauda retiring from 11 races. He would win the Dutch Grand Prix. This would be his last Grand Prix victory ever, and his last Grand Prix that he would actually be a part of was the Australian Grand Prix, and he would retire after leading due to brake failure. Lauda would return to Formula One in 1993, however this was in a management position. He would be part of different teams, including Ferrari, Jaguar, and Mercedes, and would be, you know, still part of the racing scene from that point on, helping these teams to improve themselves. Obviously, he had a wealth of knowledge and was extremely helpful in creating, well, the dominance of Mercedes today. Lauda would pass away on May 20th, 2019. That's going to be it for the episode on Nikki Lauda. I hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to support the podcast, the number one way to do that is to leave a review or give the podcast a follow on whichever platform you were listening. If you want a little more substance, a little more seasoning on top to these podcast episodes, you're welcome to follow me on my social media. My Instagram is automotive.podcast, my Facebook is at automotivepodcast, and my Twitter is at automotivepod. I post car facts and historical photos and just a little bit of stuff on top relating to the episodes. Other than that, again, I hope you enjoyed, and I will see you next week.